This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you are listening to episode 53. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of Planet Microcap Podcast, I spoke with Mark Tobin. He is a senior analyst at Independence Investment Research based in South Africa. My experience with Australian microcaps has been largely meeting and interviewing Australian resource companies. When Mark approached me about doing an episode discussing the landscape for microcaps in Australia, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity. Even though he is based in South Africa, he worked as an equity analyst under Jeff Wilson at Wilson Asset Management in Sydney, Australia. Since he left, he's been blogging for an investment news platform in Australia called Livewire, where he's contributed many articles discussing the topic you will hear about today, Australia and microcaps. The goal for this episode is to learn more about the landscape for microcap stocks in Australia and Mark's strategy when assessing an Australian microcap stock. Thank you again for tuning into episode 53 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Mark Tobin, but first, a word from our sponsor. A comprehensive streaming of market data, research, and portfolio management application for you. QuoteStream is a real-time streaming quotes and research system designed for the day trader, retail investor, institutional investor, both new and old. QuoteStream offers low-latency, tick-by-tick data, advanced charting, comprehensive technical analysis, news, and research. With no software to install and no servers to maintain, QuoteStream is the ideal solution for you. Go to stocknewsnow.com and start your free seven-day trial. Click the QuoteStream banner in the header or real-time quotes in the nav bar to get started building and managing your investments. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I have Mark Tobin on the program. He is a senior analyst at Independence Investment Research. Mark, welcome to the Planet Microcap podcast. Hi, Bobby. Good to good to be with you guys and the listeners. It's great to have you. And uh, as I said, you know, uh, thank you for joining us today because uh, you're calling all the way from South Africa. I know it's a little bit late there. Uh, yeah, we're we're getting into the the end of the day here, but um, it's great to be on the show. <laughs> so, as we do here uh, with the first question, what is your background and and how'd you get started investing in microcap stocks? Yeah, so my my background's pretty simple, I guess. Uh, I grew up in rural Ireland. If the accent hasn't given it away already. And, uh, you know, I always had an interest in kind of finance and business and ended up doing a, you know, a, a business degree at a local university, uh, kind of majored in economics and finance. And from there, then 
really liked the economics part and went and did a, a master's in economics, thinking I'd be a be an economist maybe. Kind of halfway through the course, decided mm, economist full time job maybe maybe not for me. And then uh, kind of got out of uh, university and ended up in the in the hedge fund world, mainly in you know back office, middle office roles in uh, London and then in Sydney, Australia. And kind of from there, I happened to land in a in a back office, middle office role at a small funds management business in Sydney. And uh, they were a small cap uh, equity specialist house and you know was working there for a while they were getting some good flows the business was growing and they're looking for a, a junior analyst basically that they could uh, train from the bottom up i uh, kind of went to the founder of the business a guy called jeff wilson who's a a legend of the uh, australian investment scene and said to Jeff, hey, look, you know, I, I'd like to put my name into the ring to uh, to be considered. And Jeff said, yeah, sure, by all means. But, you know, you'll have to take a, a big pay cut because uh, we, we won't be paying a junior analyst what we're paying a, a CPA, which is effectively what I was doing there at the time. And um, he said, but I'm not making any guarantees if, the, if we get a really you know, good, uh, good candidate in through the, in through the door, you know, the, the job's going to go to the best candidate. And, um, luckily enough, uh, no good candidates or <laughs> none, uh, none as good as me kind of eventuated. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of took a 40% pay cut to, uh, to get into the, get my foot in the door, I guess, in the, in the, in the analyst space and had three, three good years, uh, Wilson's doing a small cap, uh, small cap analyst role, and you know, working with Jeff, who's you know been around the industry for. I mean, if I can give, uh, and this is both a compliment to Jeff and and the the guy I'm going to to name here as a comparison, just for U.S. listeners. But I mean, Jeff would be equivalent to a, a Chuck Rice in 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 the U.S. I mean, he he is a long career as a stockbroker. He's in the Australian Stockbrokers Hall of Fame, and he's also in the Australian Fund Managers uh, Hall of Fame. Um, so great to learn with him. There was a couple of other portfolio managers there. Uh, Matthew Kidman learned a lot from him. He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met, let alone worked with. And then uh, another portfolio manager who's still there today, um, Chris Stott. And yeah, um, as part of that, you know, that we, we had a couple of small cap funds with kind of varying uh, different strategies but within those small cap funds we always had an allocation or a bucket where we said you know these 10 12 micro caps we thought were potential to kind of grow into um you know quality small caps so we kind of we kind of wanted to be in early and that was kind of indicative of uh Wilson's we were kind of early buyers and maybe um probably a bit maybe too early sellers on on some occasions on some of these but as part of that whole work learning experience you know I really got a taste for those micro caps and you know I've been kind of hooked on them ever since uh, and just tried to find as many as I could learn about his uh 
as much as I could about the space and, you know, Ian Castle at Microcap Club, you know, discovered his website and um, Paul Andriola and Brandon Mackey, you know, the, uh, who I think you've had on the show as well, you know, started following their stuff about how they worked, uh, which is actually very close to the um, strategy we followed at Wilson's. And, you know, last couple of years, I've been either doing personal investing or, um, you know, blogging, writing about the uh, Australian microcaps. Cool. So uh, it sounds like your main influences uh, before the your recent influences were were with uh, Jeff Wilson uh, and and few of the portfolio managers that you worked under um, at in Sydney. What was the name of that firm, by the way? Uh, it was called. It's called Wilson Asset Management. Okay. Um, it's still it's still going today. Um, they run primarily they run what you guys would they're called listed investment companies in australia mm -hmm. they would be known as uh CIFs or closed end funds in the us mm -hmm. and they've got one two three four five uh CIFs on now mm -hmm. um but i mean they've uh, their main vehicle uh, which is wham capital has been going for i think about 18 years now Mm -hmm. And uh, the portfolio has, I think, compounded uh, at a at about seventeen percent annualized over that eighteen years. Mm -hmm. So, did you did they ever give you uh, materials to look at to like that were their influences that that helped you uh, start to put together your investing um, strategy? Um, one of the things that uh, actually they did was. Um, You'd be familiar with the book um, Mark of Wizards by Jack Schwager. Um, Jeff and Matthew actually wrote an Australian version of that of kind of the great fund managers that had kind of come before their time, guys who were operating in, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And they got me, got me to read that. And basically that kind of, you know, distilled down into, you know, a, Jeff's philosophy and, and Matthew's philosophy and what we were about and some of the some of the core things of it were you know it, it was a growth at a reasonable price type of uh, of strategy you know don't don't pay too much um you got to do the work that's the biggest thing uh, you know you got to you got to do the due diligence you got to speak to management you got to we're putting our investors capital to to work Mm -hmm. And, you know, we got to be confident that the people we're handing over that capital to um, are going to, you know, manage it effectively and, you know, get the best return on us that, that they can. Mm -hmm. So I think that from Jeff's point of view, that was probably the biggest thing he was, he was trying to get across was, you know, don't pay too much for things. Um, you know, be sure about the management. And the, the biggest thing, I guess, uh, you know, What's the catalyst that's going to going to change the change the market's view of of a stock, mm -hmm. you know? And the catalyst could be you know any kind of a catalyst. It could be the market underappreciating upcoming earnings. You know, the the business is going better than than the market appreciates. It could be new CEO coming in, you know, turning around the business. It could be a transformational acquisition. It could be you know, moving to a to a new market or new products and services that are 
going to be launched by the company. But there had to, there had to be something that was different from the past that was going to make people really look ahead and probably uh, a portion, you know, a higher PE than what what the what the current PE was. Mm-hmm. So just real quick, I wanted to follow up on one thing. What, what was the name of the book that they wrote? Because I, I might want to go pick one up. Yeah, it's not, it's, uh, I don't know if it's even still in print, but it was called um, uh, Masters of the Market. Okay. That was the name of it. Well, say, how, about, how, about you, how about you make some photocopies and send my way? Is that cool? <laughs> I'll, I'll contact Jeff and ask because he still got a few because there, there used to be um, boxes of them uh, Still lying around the, around the office. He used to give one to any uh, university students that used to come in for uh, <laughs> for work experience with us. But another great book that was actually written by Matthew uh, more recently is a is a book called Bulls, Bears, and a and a Croupier, which is uh, basically a, a book by of Matthew's experience of interviewing um, small cap. Uh, CEOs and uh, some of the lessons that he learned, you know, stocks uh, that you know didn't pan out as expected, and ones that, that that panned out really well. But it gives you a great insight into, you know, uh, the life of a professional money manager, fund manager on a on a di- on a day to day basis, and things things to watch out for when you're when you're doing due diligence, you know, whether it's reading through annual reports or you know attending agms or you know if you're uh, on the phone to on the phone to the company management and he, he he's got a great writing style it's very kind of uh light-hearted but um you know there's a there's a lot of good messages that that, that came out of it so that's also another uh, book to maybe track down for sure i'll i'll you know what if if you send me a link after we we're done uh, interviewing i'll i'll put it in our uh, in the description because uh, that's funny on twitter Somebody uh, just wrote me, uh, you know, it, where is there more resources on um, how to interview management, you know, uh, like one-on-ones and see, you know, when they go to conferences and stuff like that. So that I'll, I'll make sure to put it in there. Um, so okay. I, I want to take a quick shift because I'm, I'll come back to your the investing strategy because I really do want to talk more about uh, the idea of growth at a reasonable rate um, because I, we haven't really talked about that too much on the podcast. But first, I wanted to... Get into the the history of uh, Australia and microcaps. You know that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you today. So you know, let's start. What 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 is the history there? You know, and maybe a little bit about the Australian stock exchange for my listeners that may not know too much about it. Yeah, so I mean the the Australian stock exchange. Uh, it's headquartered in Sydney, Australia. It's been going um, actually since nineteen eighty seven. Um, but its history goes back to basically just after the Australian gold rush, which was in the 1850s. So the first uh, stock exchange started up in Melbourne uh, in 1861. And uh, over the next kind of 100 odd years, 120 years, there was a lot of uh, regional exchanges. So Melbourne had an exchange, Brisbane had an exchange, Sydney had an exchange. And basically, they all came together in 1987 to form the Australian Securities Exchange, the ASX. And today, you know, you've got, a, you've got a market that's um, roughly valued at, you know, 1.4 trillion US with a 
about 2,100 companies listed on the board there. So, you know, where, where does that sit kind of globally? That puts it at the, the 14th largest exchange uh, in the world uh, in terms of capitalization. But if it's the seventh largest, if you if you look at it just in 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 terms of uh, listings, but kind of one quirk of the uh, Australian um, market, I guess, is there there's no kind of secondary board. So like the TSXV in Canada or the CSE or in the US, you know, you've got Nasdaq or OTC Markets. The UK, you've got the FTSE and the AM. In Australia, there's one main board, and everybody is listed. Um, on the one board um, it's quite a concentrated um, market in terms that um, resources because the economy I think is quite similar to the Canadian economy so resources um, form quite a large part of the exchange whether it's the caps mid caps small caps micro caps you know resources are one of the biggest sectors no matter where you look on the on the exchange um, and financials also are um, a big part, um, and one or two then obviously of our the, the big supermarket chains and, and the big telcos in there. But I mean, if you take the, the top ten stocks by capitalization, they represent nearly fifty percent of the main benchmark that you would see quoted in the New York Times or or, or the FT, which is the the ASX two hundred, which is the top two hundred companies. Mm-hmm. Some of the other um, ex- I guess um, quoted indexes from it would be the top 300, the ASX All Ordinaries, which is the top 500, you know, kind of equivalent to the S&P 500, or the ASX um, Small Ordinaries. But in terms of, you know, who's following what, you know, outside of the top 200 names, you know, you you got about 1,900, where they're... I would say there is minimal coverage from uh, from the broking community on on the sell side. I mean, some recent research I saw was seventy percent of, of those nineteen hundred names have no analyst coverage whatsoever. Um, so there's plenty of of you know rocks to turn over and potential hidden gems to to discover. Mm. So then you know. That leads perfectly into my next question it being, so what then does the landscape look like for microcaps listed on the ASX? Um, the landscape is, I would say, pretty good. You have um, quite, a, quite a few active managers, microcap managers in the space. Um, you have quite a active retail investor base in the in the space as well so you know there's reasonable liquidity um you know microcaps are never going to get um uh, great liquidity but one of the most exciting things that's happening in microcaps in australia at the minute is the new ceo of the asx Dominic stevens he is on a mission to get more international listings onto the asx previously was all domestic companies with international listings being, you know, just from across the water in New Zealand. But in the last uh, 18 months, we've had a raft of international companies, whether they're from the region up in Asia or we actually we've had a lot of Israeli tech companies listing. 
and he's trying to pitch the Australian market for as an alternative to either listing on Nasdaq or listing on AIM in London. Uh, but he's he's specifically targeting you know smaller end companies you know where the market cap is 500 million and below. So you know we've had quite a lot of activity in that um, micro cap IPO space. And the the market, I would say, for microcaps currently, I, I wouldn't say it's overly cheap. I would say we're kind of fa- fair value, but um, it depends on, on which sectors you're looking at. But there's definitely some pockets of uh, a very nice value on there. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, another question I had for you is you, you touched on this um, already, but you know, I want to talk a little bit more about the industries in Australia. You know, obviously it's well known that it's a resource heavy, but, uh, you know, what, what are some of the up and comers that are, are some new sectors that are starting to uh, take shape? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, if you look at the, the micro cap, uh, section of the market, the, um, the two biggest sectors down that end of the market would be um, tech and resources. You know, we have a, a microcap index, which is the ASX Emerging Companies Index. And within that index, you know, the two biggest um, sectors are resources. So, again, quite similar to Canada. But um, tech has definitely um, come to the fore there now. So, I would say they're the two biggest financials. Um, play a large component as well um but but financials i mean it it's quite broad Uh, you're looking at your kind of financial planning companies your fintech companies your uh, small um very small banking sector um a lot of um kind of secondary lenders. So, you know, the payday loan industry is a kind of a big industry in in, in Australia as well. So I, I would say the three biggest sectors are probably resources, financials, and, and technology in, in the micro cap space. Mm-hmm. So Mark, what, what are some of the listing requirements uh, for a company to list on the ASX? Um, I guess the two main requirements are you got to have a, a market capitalization at the uh, IPO of $20 million, that's Australian. And the other big uh, hurdle is you need to have 200 unrelated shareholders um, within, w- within that. Um, so obviously, you know, you'll have founders, management probably mixed in there. So it's then trying to, trying to find the either institutional or, you know, the retail mom, mom and dad shareholders to, to, to get you to that magic uh, 200 number. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if I take a look at the, the last year, I think we had probably well over a, a, a hundred um, IPOs uh, on the Australian market last year, varying from, you know, microcaps to... Um, a couple of uh, a couple of big large cap names that uh, that came onto the board, but I, I would say overall my sense of it is it's um, easier 
uh, in terms of uh, a cost burden and a, a regulatory burden to list uh, on the A6 than, than it appears to be to to do so on a on a national exchange at least um, in the US from you know some of the stuff I've read and and things things I've heard you know that is becoming a, quite an impediment for companies coming to market uh, on the US side I haven't heard any of that kind of chatter uh, on the Australian side and you know from time to time it doesn't happen often but from time to time we do get the odd um, American based company um, coming and listing here first up rather than listing on the on on the Nasdaq for example mm-hmm. so it, it also is there a different set of accounting principles in Australia so the accounting principles that are followed in Australia are IFRS or the International Financial Reporting Standards. Um, it's the same standard for all listed Canadian companies. So any of your listeners who follow the Canadian market would, you know, they'll be following the same rules as there. You know, most European companies, most South American companies. Um, all use uh, IFRS for publicly traded entities. I mean, the main markets which are not operating on IFRS at the minute are China, India, Japan, and and the USA. Obviously, on um, on on GAAP principles. So, I mean, if anybody's looked at Canada or any kind of European companies, they they'll be they'll be looking at a, a familiar uh, set of accounts. And uh, I mean the. The great thing for uh, American investors is, you know, there's no hurdle of translation. Everything's in English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that definitely helps. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So how would you suggest um, or, or how should we approach assessing an ASX listed microcap versus, say, a U.S. or a Canadian listed microcap? Um, I would say, you know, when you're when you're starting to look at uh, Australian microcaps, I think one of the things to to first look at is to to try and find something, you know, to get you started. Try and find something that you've potentially already invested in in a, in a U.S. or Canadian company that you're familiar with the business model, you're familiar with the industry. And try and find that you know whether it's a telecoms company or a consumer staples company or consumer discretionary company, so that you know at at, at least uh, you've got the general business picture um, clear in your mind, and then just start looking at well you know what valuation is it trading on, what kind of margins does it achieve versus you know a, a U.S. based company. And and try and try and work your your comparable valuation if you want between the between the two markets. Um, we don't have quarterly earnings in Australia. They only report every six months. Um, most companies have a June uh, year end, which corresponds with the um, tax year end in Australia. So a lot of them um, will have just reported their. Full year results, annual reports will um, will be coming out, um, or if out in the next few weeks, if they haven't come out already. So I mean, I think that's a great place to start is to look at um, the annual report. But I would say, 
look at look at companies where you've already got a, a, a base business knowledge of um, in in Australia and try and see if you can if you can't find something that's uh, comparable. And you know that can that can lead into then looking at looking at some other names, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of names out there. The one thing I will say, unfortunately, is um, screening. I find doesn't tend to work that well. The data, you know, it, it a lot of companies either the data is incorrect. You know, whether you're focusing on earnings growth, dividend yields, market caps, uh, something as simple as that sometimes if companies have gone through stock splits or stock consolidations um, or have recently you know, raised some capital, uh, it takes a while for it to, to, to flow through. So I would say screens are not amazing in, in, in this market. Uh, I'm not sure in the US if, it, if, it, if it's um, better but uh, it's it's one to be careful of. Uh, it really is. You gotta you gotta kind of keep keep a very close eye on the filings um, that are coming out from from microcaps to to make sure that you know nothing nothing kind of falls through the cracks or or comes up on a screen that shouldn't or doesn't appear on a screen at all. So then, what do you use to find uh, and and check in with ideas that? you follow or looking for new ideas? Yeah, so I keep a kind of a very um, close watch on the filings that are announced on the ASX website on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably, at the end of every trading day, I'll start going down through all the announcements and the kind of price-sensitive announcements We'll have a you know a, that little kind of red exclamation mark the same as you would ha- mark a, an email as kind of urgent or important, and I'll start opening um, every one of those for um, any of the microcap stocks, whether I know the code or I, I don't know the code. And go, going through that, I find is a good way to um, to find new ideas and. Um, you know, if if one ends up in on a watch list for me or a portfolio, I get a notification straight away to say that they've released a, a price sensitive announcement. But that's that's the, that's the best way I find it works for me. I'm, I I don't use screens a lot. I just spend. It doesn't take a lot because there's the price sensitive announcements. There aren't that many in a in a, in an average day. Um, obviously, in the middle of earnings season, there's quite a lot. But on a general day-to-day basis, you know, it only takes 20 minutes, 40 minutes a day to kind of work through them all. And then that that kind of sets me up for the next day. I'll say, okay, XYZ company, um, you know, it's a candidate to, to do a little bit more work on um, the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, following, you know, some of the, the fund managers, you know, the blogs, newsletters, um, some of the... Uh, some of the investment blog platforms here um, and other other microcap investors on um, on Twitter that we've kind of formed a you know a Slack group uh, or we, we all kind of cross follow each other on Twitter you know can be also a good a good way to d- discover new names. 
Mark, I was going to say, what is the what's the Twitter cash tag for uh, for uh, Australian stocks? Is it dot ASX or what is it? Um, it'll be uh, hashtag ASX. Has, oh, okay, so like it would be your dollar sign, the symbol dot ASX, or just hashtag ASX. Be just yeah, hashtag ASX, or sometimes dollar ASX, but generally it's hashtag ASX. Okay, cool. I you know a lot of my a lot of my listeners are on Twitter. I'm you know they'll probably go and check it out to see you know what what that kind of looks like. So um, we touched on this a little bit before uh, in terms of your strategy. And the idea of growth at a reasonable rate, you know, what what is let's let's do like a, a revisit of that. So let's start with, you know, your strategy when assessing an ASX ASX listed comp, microcap company and how you use the the strategy uh, or the phrase growth at a reasonable rate. What what does that all mean to you? Yeah, so growth at a reasonable rate to me, you know, it, it, it can also, you can link it to, you know, the, the peg ratio, you know, I'm looking for, ideally, I'm looking for companies growing at one to two times their PE. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, if the, if it's on a PE of 10, I'm kind of looking for forward earnings growth um, of in the, in the 15 to 20% mark. But equally, you know, uh, what I'm not looking for is something on a on a on a PE of thirty, with a with an earnings growth of, you know, fifty fifty or sixty percent. Because to me, that's everything is already priced in, and you know, if you get a if you get a downgrade or you know something doesn't go to plan, you know, you can have a ten percent earnings downgrade. Okay, so the earnings reverse by ten percent. But you can have the PE, you know, falling back from thirty to eighteen. So that's a, you get a, you get a massive PE D rate plus you get an earnings earnings downgrade. So it just adds up to a to a whole lot of pain from my point of view. Whereas if something is you know growing at you know fifteen to twenty percent, as might have a, a downgrade or you know a, a half that it doesn't doesn't go as well as expected. But you know if it's on a PE of ten or 11 or 12 you know it, uh, it's not going to get the, the, the same punishment as a as a as a high pe stock so I mean, if we take the australian market you know it the market pe is a around kind of 14 to 15 times so i'm looking for things trading on a pe you know below a market multiple that i think can get to a market multiple uh, as a first stop and you know get to you know, uh, an above average market multiple if they if they can consistently deliver. So to me, that's what I mean by you know growth at a reasonable price. I, I I want I want earnings growth, but I I don't want to be paying too much for it, and I I don't want to be I definitely don't want to be paying uh, you know thirty times for it, even if they are delivering 50, 50 to sixty percent, because uh, uh, I I think the you're exposing yourself to um, two risks, a PE re-rating risk and a earnings negative surprise, whether it's not achieving what the market expects or they actually, you know, uh, have a downgrade in earnings. So that, that's my philosophy um, on, on growth, uh, growth at a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. 
So then in terms of your, your strategy when looking at an Australian listed microcap, you know, is, is there something specific to the Australian microcap that like is another part of your checklist that maybe wouldn't be on there if you were looking at a U.S. or Canadian-based microcap? Um, it's okay either way because I've had – Brandon's been on – when Brandon was on here, he – you know, he uses his same strategy across the board. You know, he just looks for, he has his strategy. And then, you know, if it happens to be a company listed in Australia or Sweden, you know, that's, it met his criteria. So, you know, it, it can go it, um, either um, way is, is fine. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I don't think there'd be anything that I'd look at that you wouldn't look at in a, in another market. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in the in in the kiss principle. Um, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Because uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm uh, I'm definitely you know going to not be the the smartest guy in the market. So I I don't want to um, you know trip myself up in in, in trying to be uh, trying to be too clever. So you know, there's. What, what, what am I essentially looking for? I'm essentially looking for something that's under 300 million mm. uh, market cap. Ideally, I tend to spend a lot of time looking at stuff below 100 million. Um, it's where I kind of find uh, a lot of my ideas. Um, and that's a, quite a happy hunting ground for, for me in that, you know, for a lot of the institutional players, you know, they will, you know, the companies have to get to over kind of a 50 million market cap or a hundred million market cap for some, for, for some, uh, for some funds before they can start looking at them and they have to be profitable. You know, I'm happy to maybe get in a little bit before profitability. You know, maybe if I can see, you know, in the next 12 months, this company is going to be profitable and suddenly it's going to be, you know, showing up on uh, uh, showing up on the radar of a few other people, that's fine. But you know, what I don't want is some company that's you know pre-revenue. You know, they're still trying to bring their product to market or you know get their i get their idea. You know, uh, uh, even off the ground. You know, it, these companies they got to be revenue generating. You know, last uh, ideally profitable, but if not, very close to to profitability in the next kind of. 12 months um, low debt debt and micro caps in my experience uh, definitely in the Australian market um, and I'm, I'm sure it, the, it, it applies to the US market you know do not mix um, so I'm looking for you know no debt on the balance sheet or net cash um, if they have but if they have debt you know I definitely you know, I, I definitely want it to be low and, you know, all of the, you know, interest cover and, you know, they got to have good free cash flow that they can pay this, uh, pay this thing down as quickly as possible because it, it really, it's a, it, it can be dire for, for micro cap companies if you have, um, you know, the, the bankers calling the shots and not the not management team. Sure. So I'd, I'd, I'd probably sum it up in, you know, under $100 million market cap. I, you know, definitely, definitely be revenue generating. Profitable or on the cusp of profitability, 
neck low debt or no debt and ideally you know that growth at a reasonable price so on a p of 10 growing earnings 15 to 20 percent you know that'd be ideal but mm-hmm. how many times can i check off all of them on a, on a checklist not not too often i don't tend to to find ideas you know every week um so you know my i kind of tend to be more on the concentrated side because ideas uh, are stocks don't 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 come along that often um, right. but they're kind of the the, the five the, the, the five or six um big ones and then the last one then is you know what what's going to be the catalyst then 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 to change it and you know for one of them it could be moving to profitability that could be the catalyst um you know another one could be the the market appreciating uh, the earnings growth that is coming through the business um it could be a new ceo that's taken over um the business and and you know the the new strategy is now starting to bear fruit and people are getting a bit more um excited about it and 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 confident in that it's heading in the right direction or it, it can simply be you know just it, it it it's been undiscovered and now that the it's getting to that $50 million market cap or $100 million market cap. You know, institutional investors are, are, are now starting to, you know, get interested in the story. Mm-hmm. So what, another thing I was curious about is, um, you know, what, what do you look for in management? You know, are there, are there certain aspects of, uh, you know, uh, that or traits, uh, you know, based on, you know, CEOs or C-suite management growing up in Australia that, you know, are specific to Australia that you're like, okay, you know, I know they do this, I know that, you know, like what, what are some of the things you look for? Um, in management, you know, I, I like to have the, them to have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I find a lot with microcaps in Australia, you're generally dealing with the founders. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get, you know, we don't get that many, um, what would I would call them professional CEOs. A lot of the time, you're dealing with the with the founders as being CEOs. Um, so I, I like to I like to see that they've still got a you know significant. Obviously, they've probably been diluted down coming coming to market via the IPO process. You know, I still like to see them having a a decent chunk of the uh, of the register. Um, so that their interests are aligned with mine. On the board side, um, I like to see that, you know, who, who are these guys on the board? And, and I, it, I just ask kind of t- three simple questions about each one of them. If you read their profile in the annual report, do I think either their skills or their experience or their potential networks are going to help the CEO implement the strategy. So what do I mean by skills? So, you know, has one of these guys previously, you know, been on the board of a of another listed entity? If 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 um you know the the CEO's the founder, you know, he's never been on a on a on a listed entity board before. So you know have they got you know listed 
experience, for example, for I'm talking about non-executive directors now. So have they got you know listed world experience? Um, so that's that's in, that's in terms of uh, of skills. In terms of experience, it's you know have these guys. Uh, you know, I'm in a small tech startup that's you know doing well. We listed. You know, we're kind of just profitable now. Um, but you know, are my directors have they come from you know working at big software companies or big technology companies? So they, you know, they're in touch with the the bigger end of town, the bigger end of market, um, and they'll have a lot of industry network contacts as well. So uh, it's a in terms of their background, their their experience, they know how to manage bigger businesses, and they can help the CEO grow into that into that position and the networks from the from these bigger companies that have wider connections within the within the space that the company is operating that could potentially be be valuable mm -hmm. um the ceos you know it, they gotta they gotta be able to grow with the business i think that's the that that, that could be one of the challenges for um for ceos is you know they're they're great running uh, a fifty million dollar business, you know, can they take it from fifty to seventy five to a hundred to one fifty to to two hundred? So they uh, and I mean I think the 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 really good ones can, and the ones who can't, um, you got to be able to form a view. Are are they now going to be a, a limiting factor? And you know this business is never really going to progress from where it is um just because they they can't they can't manage the growth mm -hmm. so can, can north american investors invest in australian listed microcaps uh absolutely i mean if you any of your listeners have a, an account with direct brokers for example i know the asx is one of the global exchanges that they that they offer on there i mean there's no you know exchange rate control rules you have to worry about there's no um ownership rules that you you have to worry about i mean um my experience is uh, international investors into australia come from within the region so whether that be new zealand investors or um institutional investors out of singapore or hong kong um or china more recently but um you know i think uh U.S. investors, uh, once they speak to their broker, they should find it um, quite easy to to invest in in the Australian market. Mm. So th this is one of my favorite questions, uh, as, as most of my listeners probably know by this point, and that is, what what investing experience do you draw upon that taught you the most about investing in Australian listed microcaps? I think the um, experience I, I drawn was my 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 time at Wilson's. You know, um, it uh, it really helped crystallize um, what I wanted to do, um, and you know, helped me avoid a lot of mistakes that I think uh, a lot of first time investors would uh, would probably fall victim to. As part of the, you know, just learning learning process. So having that, you know, vast depth of 
of knowledge to to draw on and 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 seek out advice from on a on a on a day to day basis. You know, I think I think that that helped me immensely in the in in the early days. I mean, I, I did try my hand at investing uh, straight out of uh, varsity when I was starting to get my first uh, kind of real paychecks, but it, uh, it 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 ended badly and. I hadn't uh, I hadn't really uh, re- recovered from it um, for you know two or three years uh, after that, but um, working at Wilson's you know it, it it definitely helped massively to crystallize that you need a solid process a process that m- most importantly a, pro- a successful process that's repeatable if you can't repeat it on a on a continuous basis obviously there you know nobody's going to be batting a uh, batting a thousand but you know you gotta be you gotta be able to to be batting you know better than average mm-hmm. and it has to work on a, on a better than average basis and that's one of the things uh, i draw on most is that you got to have a process it's got to be repeatable you got to stick to it, you know, whether the market's going against you or it's going, uh, going, going with you. Um, you, you just got to stick to that process. But we, you know, what, what, one thing uh, I would say is, you know, the market's very forgiving. You know, it, it has trended up over time. So you know, even if you, even if you do make a mistake, you can still kind of come out ahead. Um, thankfully, right. So what, what is your advice for new microcap investors looking at Australian listed microcaps? My, my advice would be to, um, you know, start small, start where you have a, a circle of confidence, competence, a, 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 a knowledge base already built up and kind of linked to my, to my earlier point. You know, if you're familiar with, software companies, consumer discretionary companies, industrials, try and find those in Australia and and see are any of those worth investing in. Um, screens, as I said, probably n- use them, but use them in the knowledge that, you know, the data mightn't be, uh, mightn't be amazing. And the filings, I mean, the, the, the filings, I think, are critical to investing in microcaps in, in, in Australia because they you know there's so much information contained in them you just got to spend a little bit of time going through them and if i can highlight maybe you know the three most important ones to look at is um is an is an appendix what they call an appendix 4d which is your kind of half year report that usually comes out kind of january february the 4e which comes out now August, September, which is your full year reports. And four Cs are essentially the Australian version of, of, of quarterly um, quarterly filings. Not every company is obliged to do it. It's mainly companies that are not yet cash flow positive. But a lot of the time, in conjunction with just reporting the actual numbers, a lot of the companies give you a very good kind of business update. What's happened in the quarter? Where are they going? Um, how how is their how is their strategy how is their strategy progressing? 
And, you know, much the, much the same as we do in the US, you know, try and find a couple of um, couple of blogs to follow here. If you're really getting into the Australian thing, try and find uh, some some Twitter um Microcap investors, there's a you'll definitely find a, a a couple of people on here who 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 specialize in in the space, and uh, you know try 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 and build a try and build up a network if you can. I mean, the ideal thing to we we have a couple of microcap conferences, um, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney every year, and um, you know if you can come out here and get you know fee on the ground and make a make a bit of a network of at the people attending the conference. And that's also a great way to, uh, to glean ideas or, or insights from, from, from investors locally. Cool. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to have to put together a, a group out here. We should all come down and, uh, you know, work slash uh, vacation trip. I think that would be fun. Yeah, no, exactly. Just make, <laughs> just make sure you're coming from northern hemisphere winter into southern hemisphere summer, not the not the other way around. <laughs> no, for sure, absolutely. So, uh, so Mark, where where can my audience go and find more information about you and uh, some of your insights? So I I post a lot on um, a investment news platform called Livewire Markets. That's where you'll get. Um, most uh, most of my articles, but uh, you'll also catch me on Twitter. Uh, you'll also catch me on LinkedIn. Uh, I sometimes post stuff to a site called Share Cafe, um, and I'm going to be doing some work for another another platform called uh, the Switzer Newswire. Um, in in the next couple of months, I'm going to be doing some uh, some microcap uh, article pieces for them. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Mark. And uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with us today and uh, go get some sleep, man. I, I think uh, it might be getting a little late. No, it's not too bad yet. We're coming up to, uh, to, to 9 p.m. in the evening. So it's not, not, not crazy. Cool. All right, Mark. Well, thank you again for joining us and uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me on the show. And um, if anybody... Wants to uh, get it, get it, get in touch with me. Just, uh, just, just reach out probably via Twitter is the easiest. And if I can lend any any assistance or insights, I'd be more than happy to do so. Cool. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Mark, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap Podcast or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap Podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap Podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the Microcap Review Magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.